Hey everyone, nobody is expecting for us to be doing this, but I am with Quell, and I think it just twists my ACL. <laughs> just, just rotating. Uh, I'm with Quell right now, and Quell After Party is hosting a heavy discussion um, in conversation with Kaba Garcia Vasquez right there. <laughs> She's one of our missing panelists. Uh, last time we did the racism and skateboarding panel, and this is just a supplementary conversation that we're going to have today in Brooklyn on this very gray afternoon. <laughs> okay. Hi. Hi, Hi everyone. Oh, and this is going to be recorded podcast form and it's going to yes. be up at quell.com. Quellskate.com. Quellskate.com later. All right. Rest my knees. <laughs> okay. Hi everyone. So, wow, this is the first time I'm doing this. Thanks for having us, Quell, and having discussion. So, for those of you who don't know me, which is most, <laughs> my name is Cabo Garcia Vasquez. Um, I am a 25-year-old skateboarder from the Bronx, New York City, by way of the Dominican Republic. Um, I'm currently a contributor to Skateism, which is a diversity skate magazine based in the UK. Uh, I guess all over Europe now, and also a Thomas J. Watson Fellow. Um, I completed a Thomas J. Watson Fellowship from the year, from 2017 to 2018, during which I traveled to 10 different countries to learn about women's skateboarding movements around the world. Hell yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> I, have, I have another intro for you, but that was great. Yeah. Um, during the last panel, unfortunately, you weren't able to make it because you're airline trouble bullshit and mm -hmm. uh, you missed it probably by like an hour or two or something like that but today i'm really excited to get into it because there was a lot of things that we weren't able to touch upon unfortunately um i think that when you miss a voice on a panel that's like designed to be you know bringing different points of view uh intergenerationally as well um when you're missing that one you know voice it does unfortunately like miss the texture and the depth that you know a lot of I think people who did come wanted you know I know for a fact that some of my friends wanted to hear you speak mm -hmm. so I'm really happy that we're able to kind of arrange this and be in the space with well so yeah awesome. um, I guess uh, another question would be how did we meet <laughs> how did this come about <laughs> yeah so um Last year was the inaugural Pushing Borders Conference, which was this effort through Reverb Skateboarding and Academic Skateboarding Outlet, and what was it? In, in, in London. In London. There were yeah. a couple of different um, skateboarders who got together with the intention of talking about skateboarding and inviting brands, nonprofits, famous skateboarders, and builders, not famous skateboarders. And yeah. <laughs> to get together in one place and talk about the social impact that skateboarding has in the world. And so Jolene and I met in a pretty unexpected way. I We were at a race and skateboarding panel hosted by Neftali Williams. Yeah, race, skateboarding, and unimagined, or imagined communities, or something like that, yeah. And I had noticed you because you were in the audience basically you know, presenting so much truth Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like Florida. I was like, oh my god, like I definitely need to know who this person is, um, and that's what catalyzed me to get to know you. Even though I've lived in New York for like 14 years, I've never actually got to meet you outside of that London panel. So I felt like that was meant to happen, and it's what happens when you create these spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, it's unpredictable who you actually connect with. So that's that's that. Yeah. 
And then why we're together. Oh, and also Jolene hosted at this inaugural uh, inaugural Pushing Borders conference. She hosted her own panel with heavy discussion featuring yeah. uh, Alyssa Steamer, Jane Reyes, Alexis, Lucy Adams um, from the UK. I don't know if you guys know her. Maria Falbo, who does Cops in London, a friend of mine who works in the design fashion spaces. Luisa Menke, who also is a former pro skater. Mm -hmm. um, I could, I mean, I think she's actually the only woman to have, like, ollied Makba, so, like, that's pretty big, you know, um, and, uh, and I'm probably forgetting someone, which is so embarrassing right now, because it's, like, off the top of my head, um, but, uh, but I think that kind of covers it, yeah. I'm just bringing these different women oh, together. Oh, Alexis. Alexis Oh, God. Okay, okay. Alexis, yeah. Alexis was the first person. Uh, oh, maybe. Okay. I'm on the spot. I have a horrible memory. So no worries. Yeah. I remember this because this was the first time I had seen so many of my idols in skateboarding. Right. Women who had grown up watching skateboard who inspired me, not only in the skate world, but in the case of Alexis, for example, as an academic, as an architect, yeah. um, as an urbanist. And so bringing these voices <laughs> together on a panel, specifically for this generation of pioneers in women, mm -hmm. the skateboarding world, period, but especially for the women's skateboarding world, um, to come together and talk about the co the wet concrete waves that they were creating through their participation right. in the, these the public spaces. The context was the um, London or Bartlett School of Architecture specifically, okay. which is specifically Alexis's background. Yeah. So, to talk about skateboarding in a context of architecture and public mm -hmm. space and design, I think was like a very very interesting lens yeah. to talk about it from. So. And then last but not least, we're here with Quell Skateboarding. So we've met because Quell is a rad women's skateboarding media outlet that's really dedicated to creating space for women and non-binary folks as well in the community to come together and you know share space, share resources, and just celebrate women in skateboarding. And so you know, my hope was by submitting to the latest issue with Norma Ibarra. Um, and bringing together Quell and Heavy Discussion, you know, these are two women-owned and women-led outlets creating space for women and for real talk. So yeah. thanks for having us. Our third guest is currently in Jimmy's back. Yeah. yeah. So. Wednesday. Yeah. Can you I'm get out of there, please? Yeah. Um, She's like, awesome. Okay. Super distraction. Wednesday in my backpack. Oh my god. She's Wednesday's um, Adrian's cat. Oh, yeah. You might not be able to, to see that. We talk a lot about her on this because she likes to really just come in at the most appropriate times of us recording to just do so something. So maybe stupid. you guys can actually talk a little bit about Quell. You know, you guys just had sure. an event celebrate yeah. your, you know, release. Yeah, release. yeah we did. Four. Well, you can't really see me, so you yeah, can go over here. I'll come switch. over. Come on. Okay, we'll switch for a second. Yeah. Actually, if I sit there, you can see me, right? Okay. Barely took the corner of your oh, head. Only the founder or whatever. Yeah, just move the stool over. Well, cool. Hi, it's me. Um, I'm very sick and very sweaty, so I'm sorry I sound like this. Um, cool. Well, you did a very good uh, intro there, but Quell basically is a women's media outlet. And our main goal is to gain visibility for women in skateboarding, women in non-binary people in skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's perfect what you said that like we do want to do platforms like this to kind of get people the resources that they couldn't to talk about things like what we're going to talk about or mm -hmm. kind of share stories of skateboarders that really haven't been out there yet because of the focus of media on the traditional skateboarder that really hasn't 
Uh, sorry, where am I going with this? I got distracted. The traditional skateboarding story is shared and we want to provide a platform to share the opposite of that and yeah. uncover new truths and new things about skateboarding. So I'm excited to have you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, and one of the ways we do that is our magazine, which thank you so much for submitting. I, everyone I was saying to call out the party, but we'll turn to that page and be like, wow, this is so cool. And yeah. I've gotten that response truly from that page that you're on so many times, which is awesome. But yeah, um, yeah, our magazine was the first way we really did that, and one of the one of the my like little passion projects here, because really it's difficult, but it's so fun and so rewarding to put women in print. It's yeah. awesome. I think it's really like an important factor, like. Well, one, I think Adrienne's gonna not say this, so she's like such a boss designer. So, like, the (laughs) magazine's such an integral part of Quell because it started as literally Adrienne's like senior thesis in college. (laughs) Um, And it's so cool, like, seeing Adrienne grow as a designer, seeing women skateboarding grow through the magazine, and um, seeing like how our reach and submissions grow mm-hmm. as well and like the, di- the diversity that continues to grow within the magazine yeah. as we get a larger reach um, in terms of gender, in terms of um, just like different locations and geography. It's really cool to see that. I could not agree more. Yeah. And race, which is the topic <laughs> of this conversation. <laughs> One of the topics for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll switch spots with you okay. now because sure. I felt like we nailed it. Not yet. Totally. Okay. I'm going to hide again so you guys can't see my sick outfit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so some of the things that we're going to talk about today um, <coughs> are going to touch on gender, disability, mental health, politics, and race. Yeah. And so real quick, just because I do feel that we haven't just actually expressed, what is heavy discussion? Yeah. Okay. And why are we here? <laughs> I, I like wrote something for this. <laughs> yeah, you guys would live as a caption. Um, so basically, yeah, like my... I think my ideal format is writing, who likes to talk. Um, There was a a quote at the Jenkin party from Christian that was like, some of the best skateboarders are like the worst at public speaking, or just the worst at speaking. (laughs) Uh, Not that I identify with that, but I mean, speaking about your truths and stuff, it's not an easy feat. So, you know, you, when you talk, it's like, oh my god, like I... I hang off of every word you say, and then when I when mm-hmm. I speak on things like not writing, writing again. Yeah. If you're a writer, if you identify more with like the act of writing, mm-hmm. it's a different relationship with like communication, right? Oh. Like versus public speaking. So to put it more simply, for heavy discussion, it's like whatever anybody wants it to be. Like I don't know. I, I just like the fluidity of that. I don't want to kind of label it as like Instagram news or like uh-huh. when I feel like posting a viral meme, like I'll just do that or like yeah. Twitter screen grabs or you know whatever. So um, for me, it's mostly just been cool to see the community that's come out from it, whether it's like from skateboarding or whether it's from like kind of like fashion. So like it might be reposted by like a bigger you know fashion you know, outlet or an activist outlet, like an outlet that actually identifies with like mm-hmm. activism, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but offline for me, like if I didn't start onto my shoe brand in 2015 and to oversimplify the elements, but not starting my own company and then 2016's election didn't happen, <coughs> I don't think I would have ever found like the confidence or the like being compelled to like write more vocally about the things that like matter to me because 
I think that until those things happen, like suddenly it was legitimized your anger. It was legitimized like mm-hmm. all of these things that previously for decades people didn't really want to hear. And so I think with like creating space and skateboarding, it's this idea that like skateboarding isn't separate from the world. Yes, sometimes we live in a bubble, sometimes like we can hide behind like certain sort of like I don't know, like um like veneers, you know, of something. But mm-hmm. when you're off the board, you're still ordering a sandwich mm-hmm. in a bodega or you're still going to school yeah, or you're still right. applying for a job. Um, or you're still, you know, applying for a loan for a house or mm-hmm. something like that, or getting married and yeah. having to deal with like, you know, things that don't just touch skateboards but just people in general. Yeah. So in answer to your question, <laughs> what is having a discussion? It's just basically um, <coughs> more offline, more of the panels. Because if people look at the platform, it's just like events and things that like interest me mm-hmm. and what I follow. But then when you look at like the concrete things that I've like put money and energy into and like had pop ups and like mm-hmm. you know hosted and stuff, it's always been skateboarding because. Um, you know, it's something that's shaped me like since I was a kid. So whether my shoe brand is a sixty dollar, you know, skate Nike or not, it's more than that. It's more than a product. And I think we live in an age right now where people, whether it's about climate change or things that like people care about in terms of the companies they support or the people that they listen to, mm-hmm. I think that having your story out there is probably like the most honest way to kind of like convey like what matters to you even if that yeah. answer isn't perfect it's like that you care enough to kind of like go further yeah. you know i definitely think of heavy discussion as a sort of it's it was an online space that invites you into on offline conversations and like it exists that. at the intersection of the skateboarding world the fact because of your passion for skateboarding in the fashion sort of industry as a result of your shoe brand onto and then whatever else sort of political activation, mm-hmm. politically activated or a community that wants to be politically activated that also happens to exist within this sort of space of state fashion mm-hmm. and politics, for sure. And like, I think what's really powerful about what you do, Julene, is like you're inviting people to conversations, both you're inviting people to show up both in online conversations about really challenging topics and you're inviting those same conversations to grow off screen in in rooms like KCDC and in living rooms like this. So with that being said, <laughs> I really want us to jump into some of the biggest <laughs> things that the biggest takeaways, because again, I was stuck somewhere in, I don't know, Spain or Jersey while this <laughs> panel was going Spain on. Or Jersey. But I, got, <laughs> I don't know, but I got the opportunity to watch this panel with Janine while we were preparing for this podcast. Yeah. And some of the biggest sort of, topics that I want to address are three, call-out culture, gender parity, and racism and the body. Um, I I guess we can start with call-out culture because that forms the foundation of what the heavy discussion panel was, what that forms the foundation from which we sprang into this conversation. Yeah, about racism and skateboarding. Um, So basically, I'm just gonna lead off with um, Kyle Beachy's um, quote from his article that basically inspired me to, you know, start out the discussion with. So according to writer and skateboarder Kyle Beachy, 40 years after Stesic wrote the foundations of skateboarding legend, the big question is this, is skateboarding a primitive force or is it a progressive one? Or more than that, will skateboarding continue to perpetuate the old American power dynamics of few and many of white supremacy? Oh shit, I got something in my throat. <coughs> <coughs> 
and brown otherness? Or will it work to dismantle them? Um, I think, um, does it PMA its way into cozy selfishness? Or play a more difficult and labor intensive role in the world beyond itself? So I think he posed like a really great question, you know, compounded questions. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of or read the article. No, I didn't. <coughs> well, the Sorry. article was written in response to a pro pretty prominent skateboarder from mm -hmm. Santa Cruz Skateboards named Jason yeah. Jesse. And I who, know that whole situation. Right. And so for those who may not be aware, <laughs> you know, Jason Jesse, one of the, someone very respected in the skateboarding world, being sort of quote unquote ousted as a racist, you know, in a sense of having a lot of swastika imagery mm -hmm. or have physical altercations with people of color or in, in, throwing insults. That weren't unearthed until like before the Converse video came out last year. Mm -hmm. um, and then so basically there were like other articles before Kyle's um, that addressed it in terms of like why, why do we wait all this time for this shit to be unearthed to like yeah. have like the effect it is having right now. And more so, it's more, Kyle's article also helped to expose a pattern in the current po political climate where people are called out. So they're called out for a bad thing. Right. Then they make a public apology that is actually a non-apology about yeah. the bad thing, not because, yeah. not driven by actual remorse that the bad thing was said or done mm -hmm. or the impact of it, but rather to save face because usually in this culture, it's like, okay, someone gets called out, Oh, sponsors start pulling out. This person stops fucking with them. And then you realize, wait, is this about reparations, you know, yeah, and addressing the negative impact of the bad thing? Or is it about navigating the optics so that you right. seem like you're sorry for the bad thing and you don't actually have to face the negative repercussions of owning mm -hmm. your actions right. and facing that accountability? Well, what was interesting was um, Lee Smith had said, you know, I don't know in the last 20 something years that he's not the same dude I saw in all those videos 20-something years ago, you know? Right. Um, because what has he done since then to disprove that that's not the same person? And, yeah. you know, and, and he doesn't know him <coughs> like that, and we can all speculate because probably none of us in this room know him. But, again, Kyle also mentioned that this was not a critique about an individual. It's about a system. Yeah. So whether it's, like, the system at large or whether it's a system even experienced within skateboarding in the industry where things like his article wasn't... It was published for a day and then taken down because phone calls were made. I mean, it's like Whoa, super like right. how to get get away with murder shit. Where I'm like, you know, I'm like, all right, like, oh, it's like so dramatic, yeah. but it's like yeah. skateboarding. So like, but then it makes you, know. you realize that skateboarding doesn't exist in a vacuum. Sure. And I think that what this specific instance calls out, and what I love so much about Kyle's article, is that it it challenges the notion that skateboarders are the skateboarding world is impervious to outside influence. Yeah. We have this idea that okay, we go into a skate park and the skate board suddenly access this grand equalizer yeah. that makes difference melt away and then all of a sudden it doesn't matter if you're purple if you shred right. it's cool you know but yeah. then what ends up happening is we live in this sort of utopia and I'm not trying to say that it's not important for us to try to embody the, this vision of an alternate world where crap like politics doesn't matter mm -hmm. the reality is that what the, our socialization outside the skate park we carry it in there and yeah. we act whether we want to or not whether the intention is not for the impact to be negative the impact is negative what do we do with that and how do we call people in mm -hmm. 
right? And so we can A, get rid of this negative connotation that comes with call-out culture that forces people to be more worried about optics than actually mm -hmm. challenging their own messed up internalized socialization. But also, like, if we're trying to create a more radical skate space and make a skate world where skateboarding is a progressive force rather than a primitive one that's just right. recycling the same old, same old and norms. Mirroring. And our yeah. idols are, yeah. and where our idols are untouchable. This idea that whether we're talking about Jason Jesse or we're talking about statues in Confederate states being taken down, like we think of these conversations as existing out like separately from each other. But I think that the, the way that it's showing up in skateboarding, where we're realizing that some of the people we respect the most are also perpetuating some really toxic shit. Yeah. Like these conversations are happening in tandem. How can we use the momentum within the skate world to invite skateboarders to connect the dots? Yeah. So what's really interesting is um, along the lines of what you just said, it's like this idea of like skateboarding being built on like basically like white bad boy tropes, right? And then <laughs> yeah. someone gets in trouble or busted <coughs> for being like yeah. a bad boy. Boys will just and be then, boys. Yeah, and then, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to apologize, but like, you know, but then what was interesting was that, so I started reading this book called Loaded, A Disarming History of the Second Amendment by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. And in it, they basically, she explores the way that law has shaped um, the narrative around guns in this country, mm -hmm. um, but how do outlaws, right? We're talking about statues, we're talking about the Confederacy, how do like white settler outlaws all of a sudden right, in this history with indigenous people and, uh, you know, and slavery and everything, mm -hmm. how did that all of a sudden become such a single vacuum of, like, what the Second Amendment means? And so, and, and, and whose Second Amendment? Whose rights, right? Um, when certain communities are armed, it's a threat to the state, right? So I only bring that up because when we're talking about paralleling conversations around, like, who, who's, like, the idol in the center of, mm -hmm. like, you know, a community, yeah. who, who's worshipped, who's untouchable. I mean, to the point where it's like, um, on, on a state level, who are we learning about in school and not questioning until much later? I mean, even yeah. like the f white feminist heroes yeah. that I was taught, you know, only now in adulthood am I thinking, oh, like, Susan B. Anthony, super problematic. Right. You know, right. all of these things, right? So I think we live in a very interesting time to coincidely, like, have these discussions and explorations. And something really interesting, like to bring it back to the panel, we, you know, we're, we're un, as we're having this conversation, we're unearthing these huge connections mm -hmm. and then now inviting skateboarders to sort of reflect on, okay, so I see Jason Jesse getting called out, but that doesn't really seem like something I can relate to because I've never done something that bad. Whether it's another white person looking at, a white man looking mm -hmm. at Jason Jesse, and like, I'm not one of those white guys, so yeah. I don't necessarily have to even challenge myself to consider, huh, have I ever been called out? Have I, has the impact of my words or actions been negative? Or have I ever been called to action to actually engage with the person I've hurt? And I noticed while watching the panel that even though Jolene and Van both have examples of being called out, I love you guys, but it, it really struck me that the guys could not recall an example. Well, Kyle had one about pronouns. But, but yeah, I, but you I mean, know the yeah. point. The point is, is that there's a certain gender parity when it comes to accountability. Mm -hmm. yeah, Whether sure. we saw that on the panel or we saw that in the industry, and that's not to say that 
hey, these guys don't think, it's not a question of like whether they're thinking about it or not. Mm -hmm. It's more like, wow, as we're having these conversations, who are the, who's getting invited into this conversation? In a, to say it differently, who's getting invited to examine their accountability? And why does that see? Why is that so gendered? And in, and even with Kyle's contribution, I think it's important to note that the two women identifying folks on the panel mm -hmm. were the people with the most examples to name. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that that brings us to a discussion. A that reminds us: Wow, Kaba, me. <laughs> I was supposed to be there yeah, and of right. course in my not being there adding an additional women, woman's voice and also For adding sure. my own different experiences like you notice the absence of my voice on that panel mm -hmm. but also that reminds us that wow when we're not present in the conversation yeah. in the skate industry on, on in politics mm -hmm. at a local or national level we may not know some folks who are not necessarily used to reading between the lines <coughs> and noticing whose voices aren't present, mm -hmm. yeah. that affects the conversation and affects the impact that that conversation can actually have. Mm -hmm. And so I think I wanted us to sort of shift a little bit into, I wanted to note that. Yeah, yeah. And also note how, again, the, uh, there was also a lack of a conversation on racism and the body, mm -hmm. which is something I spoke about at Pushing mm -hmm. Borders when I was brought onto a panel yeah. to discuss <laughs> something I will bring up later in this talk. But, you know, these are two conversations that I, um, around gender parity, the question, the yeah. conversation around accountability, mm -hmm. and also furthermore, this sort of, the gendered conversation, I think also leads us to oh, the race question and how these conversations play out internally in our, in our bodies and on our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that was definitely a conversation I wanted to have because Contrary to what no one has voiced an opinion on, but I do yeah. plan for these panels like ahead of time. Like I got mad papers, I got like shit on the fucking wall with like the little like you're like the Charlie slide. from It's Always Sunny. Um, I don't actually watch It's Always Sunny. There's like a a meme thing okay. where he's like pointing to oh, all these papers. Oh, I know the crazy. meme though. Yeah, I relate to that meme. Yeah. It's like all like the red yarn, yeah. like with the thumbtacks yeah. everywhere. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and you, yeah. So we had to organize all of our thoughts before we came here, otherwise we'd be like spiraling. Um, <laughs> you're doing an, I'm double checking too, you're doing an amazing job. Okay, what, what's the time right now, just so we know? Oh, I have no idea, just because oh, it's okay. on there, but... Oh, who, who cares? I didn't even know when we started, actually. <laughs> Whatever, so... Yeah. We'll go, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> oh, wait, racism in the body. See, this is how easily I can distract them. Because that was, that was something yeah. that we actually wanted to specifically talk about. How racism makes our body feel when we're experiencing it. Wow. And um, and we had people on the panel say that they had never experienced it, which was Lee. Um, and then we had someone like Kyle who said that, you know, people who can be identified mm -hmm. as white... Who, Can you let us know who Lee and Kyle and the other people on the panel are? Oh, sure. So, Lee Smith, it, I feel like I need to break Sorry. out their intros. It's all right. But um, it will help me get context because I don't know who Lee is. Okay. So the people um, here might not either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, let me finish my Sorry. thought and then introduce who Lee is. Perfect. Okay. Wait. Um, I forgot what I was saying. All right. In the body and how oh, it, yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So, Lee um, said that he didn't feel like he had experienced racism. Kyle said that he, being a white identifying Midwesterner, felt that people were very comfortable expressing racism to him. So 
basically I thought that was really interesting in terms of, you know, and again, I'm like never going to tell someone who, mm-hmm. what experience they, they have or not, you know? Yeah. Um, but that the proximity and how we can relate to certain be, seeing like, have I ever experienced homophobia? Me, for instance, mm-hmm. like maybe I haven't experienced something directly, but maybe someone next to me and right. indirectly I've had to either be an ally or do, you know what I mean? Do yeah. something more. So I feel like having that fair conversation, that fair examination is also not necessarily, people aren't necessarily equipped with the language to necessarily navigate that in, in some conversations and on the spot when they've never had yeah. the ability, you know, or opportunity, you know, to kind of look at that. Whatever, real um, quick question. When you sure. meant that he said, or I'm sorry, when you said people are comfortable expressing racism to him, do you mean like they're comfortable sharing their racist thoughts? Yes, yeah, because he's a white person. Because he's white. Right. I yeah. just wanted to clarify. White like, passing that's... folks have the same, a right. similar experience yeah. around like people not necessarily knowing that they have a heritage that is quote unquote brown. It's a different conversation. Or, mm, I see, why, I see. Do you have a, why do you think it's okay to express your racism around anyone? Like keep those thoughts in Well, your that head. is true. <laughs> like, yes. what? But the oh, reality. Well, like, and I am. So now I can say that I'm racist around you. Like, oh. But sorry. it's not. But the thing it's is, it's not like someone is feeling. pronouncing themselves no. as such, but rather. Yeah. This is an opinion that they may not feel safe expressing in certain spaces because of quote unquote politically correct culture. Totally. And of course, we're asking ourselves because we're in radical spaces a lot of the time, yeah. where even if you're a white presenting person and benefit from those systems of, of privilege and oppression, you're still like, hey man, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. yeah. You probably should keep that to yourself. But then you realize it's like, wait, part, this is a the melting pot has become a boiling cauldron Mm -hmm. and people want to like don't feel the freedom to express toxic things and part of it is because the conversation is such that if you think this you are this you are a bad bad capital b racist person if you think if you feel uncomfortable when you see a black woman man with a white woman walking down the street holding hands people don't feel comfortable even expressing that they feel that discomfort Mm -hmm. because the political climate is so vilifying that this person is a crim is a criminal and they have there's nothing redeemable about them and i do think again and we'll talk about this throughout this that it's a challenge to navigate because when we're trying to call people out and make sure that they're aware yo this is messed up i'm not going to sugarcoat this for you Mm -hmm. because it's not my job to constantly mitigate the negative impact of your negative impact on me right right? it's not my job to always have to explain this this isn't i'm calling you out so that you see that this negatively impacts me but at the same time i'm calling you in to be more cognizant of your actions of your words of your thoughts so that you don't because i don't want the last thing i want is for people to feel so afraid to express their thoughts that things spiral yeah right and then instead of them yelling something out maybe they're acting out in a violent way because they feel like the current world no longer has room for straight white men and that i think is a real feeling that's driving a lot of the political division in our country today and in the world today this feeling that people are no longer listening to one another because we're Mm -hmm. looking at each other and thinking Mm -hmm. i know everything about you Mm -hmm. because of what i think you are and we're not having this conversation with one another and there has how do we strike a balance between the very real need for real talk and a call out Mm -hmm. with also the healing restorative work so we're not just punishing people for having wrong opinions because of a system that they're a product of right and actually helping like how can we heal this so that this conversation sounds different so that 
we can actually evolve. Yeah. And people have, I think at least in the skateboarding community, people have more of the tools because they've heard more conversations that can address like more nuance. I mean, I've been skating for like, I literally counted it like 23 years yeah. since I was 11, 12 and never have I ever been in spaces where, you know, more so in the last maybe five, I don't know, five, several years mm-hmm. where conversations around gender have mm-hmm. become more mainstream, which is a great thing, Yeah, you know? Um, but in terms of when we challenge what skateboarding represents as a vehicle of, it's like, is it a vehicle of misogyny and homophobia, transphobia? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's not that people intended that, but it's by like not addressing it. Do we let something kind of fester? Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? And so the other thing, um, yeah. So the racism and how it makes our body feel. I was going to say too, like what you started to say about how like gender has become such a bigger conversation now, like even with Quell and starting that from when I started it and the research behind that was like 2015, 2016, it wasn't really part of the conversation, at least in my experience, to talk about like gender this way. And so when we talk about, you know, being a women's media outlet, like now I've learned so much more that it's not just women, it's people identifying as women or people who don't really identify as any specific Anyone gender. Man. Exactly. At the end of the day. And so like even as we started doing this intro, I like was gonna bring this up afterwards, but this was a perfect mm-hmm. it like a perfect segue basically. But it's like thinking even from our brand and how we present ourselves, like that that was like kind of the default answer, but that's not necessarily what we do. Saying we're a women's brand, you know? And so like conversations like this obviously make me think about stuff like that. And a lot of the time too, even with this like call out culture, I wonder and, like, it's my fear that we would offend someone because, like, we're learning as people and as everyone is. And, like, it's great to think about calling someone out but being able to provide the tools and the words to say, like, listen, you kind of did a little not good thing, but let's talk about how you can go forward with that and actually fix your life and fix your thoughts or that... Unlearn. Unlearn. I mean, I think the whole world is in the process of mm-hmm. not only just, like, generational turnover where, like, literally, like, older people are passing away because that's life, but also we're, I mean, for me, having lost my dad this year, it's, like, also mm-hmm. feeling, like, what am I putting back totally. in, into the world, into the conversation that also, like, represents a legacy that I individually feel like I need to at least speak up for. Yeah. Totally. Um, I really want to talk a little bit about my Watson Fellowship. Yeah. Um, just for, because some folks, they just meet me and then they're like, wow, bitch, you really travel all over the world. And they don't understand (laughs) why. That was my first thing. Right. And so it's like, how is this little scrappy, this little scrap from the Bronx? Like, what what are you doing in Cambodia? Like, and so I really want to explain why it is that I was out here. Um, so in 2017, in March of 2017, I was awarded a Thomas J. Watson Fellowship. And there's a foundation called the Watson Foundation that each year awards 40 graduating college um, seniors from liberal arts colleges around the United States um, a grant that enables them to pursue a passion-driven research project in countries they haven't been to for the duration of one year. And so people do different types of projects. I have a friend who, stu- who was really interested in life in extreme circumstances. So she was out here in the Arctic studying microbes. I have a friend who was really interested in studying the experiences of black female migrants across the African diaspora, found herself in China and wow. Brazil 
um, as well as in the UK experience looking at citizenship. I decided to study women's skateboarding movements to learn more about how women are personally and politically empowered through their participation in skateboarding communities. I had a similar, interestingly enough, something that what you were saying, Adrian, about yeah. how the how the con the shift in the political climate and the deepening of this conversation on gender and other social identities as it's grown over the past few years, I've also realized, wow, you know, I occupy many positions of marginality. I am, for those of y'all who can't see me, I am a <laughs> melanated brown peanut. I'm people call me Kawa Bean, but I am also a peanut. But no, seriously, I am of Dominican descent. My parent my father's dark skinned Dominican, my mom is light skinned, and I'm somewhere in the middle. I have dreadlocks and brown eyes and brown skin and identify as part of the LGBTQ community. I identify as um, um, a bunch of these different things. I identify as queer, I use they, them pronouns, whatever you want to say. But even as I occupy these different positions of marginality, before my mm -hmm. Watson Fellowship and before my senior year of college, mm -hmm. I really didn't think as much about my status as a woman. It almost, my gender and my sexuality in particular felt like things that just kind of distracted me from more important seeming conversations around my race and around mm -hmm. my socioeconomic condition as a working class mm -hmm. child of immigrant parents in the, living from the, in the South Bronx. And so just, it makes, it really invites you yeah. into this idea of intersectionality, you know? Kimberly Crenshaw, when she coined this term, I don't know if she anticipated the how transformative it would be so much so Ooh. that I think it ushered in a whole new wave of feminism that's totally. not even, you can't, like, can we even call it that? Like, the right. word itself yeah. has not caught up to how expansive the conversational landscape mm -hmm. has become. Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to talk about my experiences traveling to these different countries, and I ended up going to around 10 or 11, I don't even know, but the <laughs> ones that I, you know, because this fellowship is... The, what I loved about the Watson Foundation is that they emphasize process over product. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that everywhere you go, whether even in the skate world sometimes, you find yourself that everyone's trying to sell this product. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're not as patient with people when they're learning. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about my Watson Fellowship was that it enabled me to move away from the, the kava that was married to institutions. The kava that had internalized external narratives about who she is and what she should be because I'm black, because I'm this, because I'm woman, because I'm that. And think, okay, who is kava the soul? And like, how can I honor the process of my growth such that I'm not sure I was interested in making a documentary. I try. Mm -hmm. My camera's on. But you know, <laughs> but you know, just adapting to the different situations and realizing, wait, <laughs> I'm always trying to record my thing now for something in the future. I'm always preparing right. for the time that has not yet arrived. How can I be present in my process? And throughout my Watson Fellowship, decided to prioritize building community with women and folks around the world, whether it was through multimedia, collaborative media projects, mm -hmm. whether it was me taking a, skate, a queer skate zine that was being printed in Sweden by a French skater surfer, you yeah. know, to South Africa and to Mexico. Yeah. You know, and use those and try to use that media outlet to spring into conversations around gender in South Africa, for example. You know, I decided to make myself a conduit instead of trying to funnel, be a funnel to tell these people's stories for them, at the, which is what I felt at the time. I decided, let me just what is community, what does it actually look like to practice democracy and community as verbs? 
How do people actually organize? How does in India? How does the women's involvement in skateboarding shape the physical lands, physical layout of the land, mm -hmm. or affect the economy? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I found myself. You know, the goal of my project, yes, was to learn how we're how we're empowered by skateboarding. I visited the countries that I visited. Um, I made sure I visited a country in each continent, okay. save for Australia, because I just didn't make it out there. Okay. But I had I wanted to go spend equal amounts of time in the quote unquote global north and the quote unquote global south mm -hmm. to sort of follow how skateboarding has spread throughout the globe. Mm -hmm. So I started in in Europe, in Scandinavia, in Sweden, in Denmark. Um, where I learned a lot about the refugee crisis and sort of the way that skate charities were starting to pop up as a means of existing in the intersection between sort of aid work and charity work mm -hmm. and using skateboarding as a tool to help, for example, um, children who had arrived as refugee, unaccompanied minors and refugees mm -hmm. to integrate into Swedish society or, or for example, you have um, initiatives in Greece that are working with kids from Syria and Palestine called Free Movement Skateboarding. Mm -hmm. um, and I have some friends out there, Amber and Ruby. Mm -hmm. Will, what's up, guys? <laughs> Y'all are doing great work out there, you know. And so I, even though I didn't make it out to Greece, the idea, I met pe so many people along the way that were involved in projects like this. And in Europe in particular, I really saw skateboarding as a way of tackling the refugee crisis. And that was really powerful. Um, when I went to, you know, I was in Spain, Sweden, Germany, a lot of that. And it wasn't until I went to South Africa that I really felt I had a different experience around skateboarding because all of a sudden, like, granted, I'm not saying, of course, Western Europe and Eastern Europe are really, really different. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's, just because from the outside, we may think of Europe as this place that is a lot of privilege, you know, there's yeah. social stratification there too. Um, but it wasn't, an, I do still feel though, because skateboarding, is has been so so has been present for so many decades. There's an infrastructure, not only for this in terms of, you know, well-paved roads, <laughs> yeah. access to health right. insurance for folk, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of folks. Even though you know this, that's not the same situation for everyone. Europe is in a different position mm -hmm. in the skateboarding industry. When you leave the quote-unquote global north, when you leave the quote-unquote rest, and you go mm -hmm. to the rest. You, I really found myself as an international an alumni of McAllister College who studied international relations. I was very keen, mm -hmm. you know, noticing wow, how do the how does the flow of skate culture from the United States and from mostly like what Northwestern Europe flow out to the rest? How, mm -hmm. Where are the resources coming from to get into countries like? Um, Cuba mm -hmm. and South Africa and Cambodia. Where are these resources coming from, and what? Who's bringing these resources, and what kinds of cultures are they bringing with them, mm -hmm. skate and otherwise? Um, I learned. A, I had a lot of different specific experiences about embodiment because I'm someone who experiences anxiety through disembodiment, where I literally feel like I'm watching my body from a <coughs> perspective, mm -hmm. and I can't move. And it's my anxiety can sometimes be really immobilizing, and that's something many folks don't know about me. But when I when I do share that, and then continue this discussion about race and gender, then you realize, wow, sometimes it feels like I physically can't move. Mm -hmm. And skateboarding mm -hmm. being some is something that helps me feel like I can jolt be jolted back into the present mm -hmm. and just be connected to my breath and really feel, wow, like I am here now in this moment. And then all of a sudden, those things melt away. But in some countries, I wasn't necessarily, in some spaces, 
even in Europe, I wasn't always able to just escape mm -hmm. into skateboarding because of the reception or lack thereof that skateboarding may have had in other places. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the different sorts of gender, religious, political, social, spatial norms that each country, yeah. each city, each space mm -hmm. em embodies. And so I just want to pick some specific instances mm -hmm. I've embodied me. I've been talking a lot up here <laughs> because I'm still processing this mm -hmm. Watson fellowship. Yeah. But s specific no stories I remember are, for example, in Spain, being in Madrid, sort of watching West African street vendors being harassed and spoken negatively about, and then skating past the same people who are harassing them, kind of being like, oh, cool, girl, you have your skateboard. And all of a sudden, not because, yes, I live this black body, but I also recognize that I benefit from colorism within the black community, being a lighter skinned black person. Or in that case, the second I open my mouth, I can speak Spanish mm -hmm. because of my Dominican heritage. Mm -hmm. People see me with a skateboard, the, the, the types of projections they may have made onto my body had I, when I did, if I didn't have the skateboard mm -hmm. are so different, but mm -hmm. all it acts as a buffer. People think, okay, you're not like every other black person I've ever thought of in my mind already because you have a skateboard. I don't see that as something black girls, black people do. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're a young woman who's eccentrically dressed uh, and you speak Spanish. Where'd you learn how to speak Spanish? Oh, you have those dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, my skateboard became my point of entry into conversations where perhaps otherwise I would have experienced similar treatment <coughs> to these folks that are considered outsiders within Spanish culture. <coughs> um, and then, or perhaps in South Africa, where you see skate as Ayanda of Skatistan Johannesburg put it so eloquently at Pushing Borders Globally Stoke panel, he talked of skateboarding as of the perception of skateboarding as a white activity among Black folks in South Africa, mm -hmm. and I would argue also in the United States, there are countries I've gone <coughs> to where people think of skateboarding as a white American import, mm -hmm. and more broadly, you know, being in South Africa, for example, and then all of a sudden I wasn't just black like I am in the States, or white, mm -hmm. you know, I was a colored person. And it made me, it reminded me, um, I think, I forgot the name of his name, but there's this article I read in my, um, like, it was a race, American Studies and Geography cross-listed course I took in college called Race, Place, and Space. We read, I think his name is Joe Fagan, he wrote about the white social imaginary and how there's white, non-white, uh, and black, oh, collective, no, it's like white, Honorary white and collective black. And so okay. I take this idea that's, that race is just like, if you're visibly black, you're black, but then thinking about the political function uh -huh, of the okay. construction of these categories right. so that there are people who are white, unambiguously, quote, right. quote. So then there's the collective, maybe people who are more ambiguous, maybe people whose performance of this racial identity is conforms more to white norms. And then the collective black folks who reject it, whether intentionally or unintentionally, mm -hmm. you see it a lot with blacks and Latinos being grouped together a mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. And Latinos facing a lot of the same discrimination. In that sense, it's kind of like in the binary, they're the collective black. And so I think of South Africa as evoking this for me and reminding me, whoa, my experience in my body such so far hasn't yeah. been quite like this, even in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. But here all of a sudden I was navigating, I was in this zoo village at Indigo Skate Camp, you know, with the founder, Dallas Oberhauser, who is, you know, a white South African who came to this uh, rural Zulu village on the heels of the end of apartheid, mm -hmm. trying to use skateboarding as a way of promoting sort of so understanding or healing between folks who have been segregated for a long time. And, you know, I'm not going to speak too much to his specific tactics or yeah. the, the impact of that. 
but just <laughs> while being there with him in this you know Zulu village for the first time being in an indigenous context on the African continent and being colored all of a sudden and having to navigate this intermediary space between blacks and whites and also living as a woman on top of that in a surprisingly patriarchal society mm -hmm. where those sort of gender norms are compounded by racial identity. Yeah. I was just, I, I did not anticipate feeling at the sense of alienation or affirmation that I did of not being able to occupy any category neatly, especially mm -hmm. as an American outsider. You know, so that South Africa really brought up a lot where, mm -hmm. and when I was at skate parks, you know, the only woman skating, the only black person skating, mm -hmm. uh, not black person skating, but definitely the only woman. And on top of that being the only black woman skating, people definitely projected um, <clears throat> assumptions about my sexuality. So even though I was kind of accepted still because I could skate, mm -hmm. there was that, this element of, oh, she must not be a girl in the traditional sense if she's out here doing this activity that we only see men doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, she must be a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And there is definitely... I mean, they, they were doing that in America, too. Right? That people do that in the States, <laughs> oh, I too. I that all yeah. the time. For sure. But, you know, it's something to be said for the fact that there's this sort of denial of our family. Like, if we're mm -hmm. doing this, if we're occupying a space where we are, quote-unquote, not supposed to be, then we must be a bitch. We must be a lesbian. We we must be deviant to our own femininity in such a way that we're not real women anymore once we decide to take up a position of leadership, once we decide to show up in a public space, even though there's so much danger, not in spite of it, maybe even because of it. Mm -hmm. And South Africa was definitely a place where I anticipated feeling less pushback, and that has to do with my own American projection, ethnocentric perspective mm -hmm. of what it must be like in other countries where black, white dynamics also exist. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if maybe I can take a little <laughs> pause there because I think there's a lot of juicy stuff in South Africa. <laughs> because, you yeah, know, in India, right. in India, I wanted to talk about, you know, being followed in Madurai when and traveling India by myself for 10 weeks and like trying to navigate that or what I think is really you know, interesting about your specific experiences There's with so the much. fellowship and traveling is that you know you're raised like watching like skate videos and like everyone travels in like team you know sort mm -hmm. of context or something yeah. or like um and something that I thought was always really interesting is like I mean even traveling domestically in the United States the first time I ever came to New York was when I was 16 and mm -hmm. I had been watching like photosynthesis yeah. Like for, you know, the entire summer. And I was like, I, I definitely have to make it out to the East Coast. And I, uh, I came out here not even really knowing anybody, but meeting up with someone I met on a Crail Tap chat. That's uh, so funny. Who ended up working at Max Fish and still works there, Shannon. Oh, so I got really funny. lucky back then. This yeah. was like in early 2000s where, you know, skate culture also encourages people to travel regardless of your right. safety. Yeah. Really? Right. And you're just like, I gotta skate this like spot. I gotta, you know, you know, you have it all in your mind, but safety isn't necessarily one of the things that you think about. Yeah. Right. And when you're a when you're a girl, I was a sixteen, so it was just like I wasn't even thinking about them because I was predominantly raised by a single mom who Basically, as long as I was honest with her and she knew I didn't drink or anything at the time, she really mm -hmm. trusted me to kind of make my own decisions, which was like, even for an Asian American, is like a very big thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, and so I was able to navigate in a way that maybe a lot of people at the time were not able to. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think that growing up with a culture where, you know, it's like epitomized, like you want to travel the world, you want to be sponsored, you want to do all of these things in this way where they usher you to like the next spot and you have a board toss and the sticker toss and like, you know, you're this year. And then meanwhile, you know, I hear all of these alternative stories (laughs) for women traveling, um, not even just your, your case, but in other cases as well. So I think it's really important to like speak to the capacity of traveling as a skateboarder mm-hmm. when you're not necessarily like, you know, kind of had the red, you know, the red carpet, like sort of right. like thrown yeah. out there for you because you're sponsored, you know, you're pro. Yeah. Right. Totally. No, definitely. And I think like I found myself, especially by myself, there's the combination of being a woman traveling alone in my body. I was the only black, I never see black women traveling alone. Mm-hmm. It's changing. It's Why growing. Is that, you think? Um, I think part of it is just the way that these sort of you know you I know you understand know that I believe that gender is an economic condition. I also think that race is an economic condition, and with intersectionality and these systems of oppression, how they compound on one another, I definitely feel that okay, we already know that regardless of whether you're in the United States or India or South Africa <coughs> or Dubai, and like. The world is not a safe place for women. It can be way safer. And the, ch- the, the, that the thing is, the people mm-hmm. who are causing the harm are not participating in the conversation. And if they are, they're not willing to challenge their own behaviors or they're not willing to ho- have accountability because they, everyone constantly wants to see themselves as an exception. I know reading between the lines, it sounds like I'm saying, the problem is men. The problem is patriarchy. Yeah. The problem is the violent instrumentalization of patriarchy to tell women from the time they're born that they're not capable, mm-hmm. that they're, they, don't, they shouldn't. And so we internalize this external narrative and it becomes the way we talk to ourselves. Yeah. The way, and like, if it's the way that we talk of our, to ourselves, of course we're going to act on the way that we think because our thoughts define our action, mm-hmm. inform our action, and that ultimately shapes our reality. If like we've internalized this and we're acting on this internalization, then people who are in positions of power are gonna be like, oh well, they must not want it. Oh well, they must be okay with it. Oh well, if I give them some drinks and tell them girls get in for free, that's equality, right? Men should be mad because they're not getting free drinks and they're not getting sponsors for doing a heel flip. And then pe- people just don't understand that like what we're seeing today is the result of the compounding generations yeah. of compounding inter in inequality. Yeah. And so I do think that for me, being in my body, getting access to these kinds of opportunities have definitely made me question myself whether I've actually earned them. Mm-hmm. It's made the imposter syndrome. And I've had people throughout my Watson, I want you know, people have been really supportive. Totally. And of course there are the detractors who see me not popping my ollie high enough because I'm warming up, and they say, oh, well, you don't deserve this opportunity. I can do this. Why doesn't Barracks feature me in, on their videos? I literally, yeah. as you were saying this, was just thinking today, I feel like you saw this already, so um, on Sam's yeah. post on the Barracks, I was like looking at the comments as I do, just to be curious like what shithead said something stupid. Yeah. And this guy was like, yeah, well, you guys said it was so steezy. She did this heel flip, oh, yeah, I think, I but, like, she didn't even, like, I guess fully... It was something... I didn't even know what you guys were talking about. She did um, a frontside heel flip and then pivot back to regular, oh, yeah. and uh-huh. he was like, 
if a dude yes. does a pivot at the end of the trick, it's sloppy, but she did it and it was steezy and like everyone just like, like people, came out. You know, <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry. The point I is, know. but the point is, it's like, I think part of why I think it's, Ugh. I've been really craving sharing my Watson experience and why it's so challenging to process is because sometimes I feel like if I say, I got a $30,000 grant to travel the world and do a research mm -hmm. project about right. how women are impacted by their participation in skating, mm -hmm. people f will flip their shit. Maybe on, or on the surface, maybe they'll be like, oh, that's cool. But behind closed doors, they're being like, she didn't deserve that. I should have gotten that. I'm like, bitch, why didn't you apply? Yeah. Right, right? It's and like the opportunities so, but, are there for everyone. And that's the problem that people, I feel like, don't understand. Well, not necessarily everyone, but... It's like you have the ability to do what I'm doing or you're doing or whatever, and you just need to apply yourself and instead of take someone down because you you yeah. didn't even apply to an opportunity. Exactly. Like these are and like that. All being said, you know, I do feel, especially as the landscape, for example, let me shift this because I think it's an interesting conversation mm -hmm. around like, for example, like this question of like the burden of representation, right? And like this idea that like. Be like any one woman, like comment section on barracks, mm -hmm. comment sections are shit shows. Yeah. Yeah. But one woman, one woman, one not man gets featured on barracks and all the trolls flood the post. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like, I guarantee you that you guys are following cute ass models with their ass out. Like they feel good about it. That's cool. But like, why is it that you want to shit on this like woman? under the Barrett's comments, but you scroll through your Instagram consistently consuming women. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like this misogyny is, is just blows my mind, one. But two, it's more like the burden that Sam is facing mm -hmm. as being a really fucking talented skater. Yeah. She, they try to give her some shine, and the mm -hmm. reception is that. Is Correct. that she's not enough. It doesn't matter if she is the best skateboard. It doesn't matter if it's actually Rodney Mullen in yeah. draft. <laughs> Like, like, right. I, like, what if it's like, if this is like the quote unquote female Rodney Mullen. It's like, there's, it's like, let's face it. Like the very people who say that they don't care about difference are the same people who are pressed as fuck in the comment section mm -hmm. of anyone who's trying to pursue what it is they're passionate okay. about because they ultimately not only feel entitled to our opportunities, Think about it. They feel entitled to our bodies. They feel entitled mm -hmm. to our space. If a if women if Barracks is hosting a section so that women can have their competition, men are getting in there talking shit about how they should quote unquote become trans, which is so problematic, oh. in order to enter that competition. This is what happens when you think equality and justice and equity are the same thing. Yeah. This is what happens when you're so used to privilege that justice feels like oppression. Yeah. Like this is a problem and I think that it's good that barracks doesn't stop the comments because it's important yeah. that we reckon to put it in Kyle's words with our own ugliness we need to build the infrastructure mm -hmm. right now and that's what we're doing through conversations like these and through actions or inactions yeah. strategic inaction like the mm -hmm. barracks not turning off their comment section yeah. mm -hmm. if we highlight the what actually happens when someone is forced to represent their whole community. Samantha, Sam is also a, a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't even know if comments are mentioning that, but there's this double-edged sword, yeah. right? She's representing more than just one community mm -hmm. and how that sort of can produce a sense of alienation because now people are not, they're not giving her the opportunity to just do what she wants to do. And this reminds me of when I was applying to college, low-key felt like I had to pimp out my poverty story. Uh and ha to sell my story to gain access to these institutions mm -hmm. and funding. So it's like, what do you guys want? 
Do you guys want us to not talk about being women? Do you want to ignore the obvious? Yeah. Because you're not comfortable with acknowledging that this is someone who you don't think deserves to be in your spaces, deserves to have access to the opportunities mm -hmm. on the basis of her being a woman. Yeah. And you don't want to confront the fact that, oh, because I have a sister and I really love her, that you're not, you're not perpetuating toxic misogyny. Yeah. Like, that is crazy to me. And I think it really shows us how now we're at a point where with social media, we have this sort of representation of more women in skateboarding. <laughs> and now the misogyny is coming up where now this person, she's not palatable enough. Her yeah. heel flip is not as amazing as my heel flip. Mm -hmm. My, she is, she, or if she's a really good surfer, oh, she's not sexy enough to get sponsorship from male owned companies. Okay, yeah. Roxy can have her, but do we, she's talented, but we don't wanna give her shine for what? Because ultimately, who's running the skate industry? Who's running the surf industry? Yeah. A couple a couple of white dudes, and it's like, cool, you guys are really cool. But notice that what's happening right now is a result of generations of inaction. And that's what we got. Oh shit, what is that? What are those things? Sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's an oh, ending. why is it ended? Maybe it's how long we have to be. Maybe. Should we do it again? Wait, why is it ending? I guess though? we can edit this part out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can. I, I just like went on a total rant. No, <laughs> wait, no, no, no. Hold on a second. Wait. Share the story. Yeah. But then do another one, right? Yeah. yeah. So give me a second. Yeah, okay. <laughs> can I do another one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. That was Ooh, great. That's cool. I mean, I'm glad it was like towards, it cut you off towards the end. Hold on a second. Yeah. I'll definitely okay. just be like, yeah, yeah, no you worries. We were just chatting around like. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it again. Can we do it? Oh, okay. Just time check also. All right. Round two. Woo so, okay. not sure where yeah. it got cut off, but I was in the middle of sharing, ranting, about <laughs> my, my, some of my, sharing some stories about my experiences traveling the world to study women's skate movements as part of my Thomas J. Watson fellowship. Um, and then some of the, discussing some of those key takeaways in the context of a different conversation I wanted to have around the burden of representation. Mm -hmm. Just to conclude the Thomas J. Watson segment, you know, the one of my biggest takeaways from it, and you can read more about my trip at skateintothesun.world, where I have blog posts detailing my experiences during that time, soon to be updated with posts because I finally got access to my iCloud. Um, one of my biggest takeaways was my understanding of race and gender as social and economic conditions that are embodied through systems like unequal pay, unequal distribution of resources, mm -hmm. and race and gendered expectations of things such as my professional trajectory, my my ability to skateboard, my intellectual capacity to contribute to conversations such as these, my sexual availability, motherhood, so on and so forth. Um, and ultimately, I understood even more that, yes, racism and sexism and all these different isms are psychologically physically and emotionally depleting. But what they can teach us is it helps to show us that we in turn, a lot of these narratives about who we are and who we can be are ultimately ex external. And it's important that we A, recognize ways in which we've internalized these external narratives about who we are and who we can be and seek to express, learn how can we express our reality as is and take ownership over this narrative so that someone else isn't telling our story for us. And that sort of led me into the burden of representation and ways in which we sort of navigate the pressure of representing our communities. I know for one, I really struggle because like, because I love the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx. 
I never, yeah, didn't know this. Never heard of her. Like, moms, I never heard of her, but that's my girl. And you know, I I really want to represent. I navigate this pressure of representing the Bronx, Black people, Dominicans, New Yorkers, everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, I've noticed that I when I talk to my white friends about this, they don't always feel the same sort of pressure to represent the monolith of their white community right <laughs> and i think if for me it shows kind of like why is it that white folks are afforded this sort of individuality where it seems to me from my perspective that they can represent themselves and only themselves while people in marginalized communities tend to become spokespeople for their communities mm-hmm. or tokens in privileged spaces whether they're the only woman featured on barracks mm-hmm. or i'm the only brown person on a panel about women in the skate industry mm-hmm. and i'm i kind of wanted to direct this question to you guys sure as a self-identified sort of women's skateboarding media outlet how do you navigate the how do you navigate the pressure of having to represent your entire gender (laughs) and the second question after that would kind of be how does racial identity if at all play into your work Mm -hmm. cool do you want to go first or do you uh, want me to? I, can, I can go first if you want me to. Sure. Uh, Just because you looked at me, that was the only one. I was, I was looking to see you. Here, Here we go. Let's change places. <laughs> okay. Okay. You answer it. No, you answer it. Um, so, in terms of, I think it's a constant, like, dialogue within myself to get outside of myself. To mm-hmm. remind myself that not all women um, see womanhood as I see it, and not everyone in the skate scene skates in dickies and a t-shirt the way that I do. They don't all, like, skate at skate parks. They want to skate mm-hmm. street. And, like, reminding my like, constantly reminding myself to get out of my own circle because, like, this isn't my personal Instagram of me reposting skate things that I like now. It's a, it's a constant reminder to myself mm-hmm. that I need to make sure that I'm showing things that other people are seeking and not just something that I'm seeking. Um, knowing that I'm a cis, white, straight woman and keeping that in the back of my head as well, saying, like, yeah, like, I can so easily just stay in this one lane and um, live in just only my existence, but I have to, like, break out of that. And that sometimes that means posting longboarding on (laughs) on Sometimes it means that. That's as much as it pains me. (laughs) That's so funny Um, that. And then in terms of, um, like, the magazine <laughs> is almost, like, kind of easier to do that because I can look and I can flip through the pages and I can make sure that there are mm-hmm. shades of browns, whites, and everything in between yeah. um, to remind me to make sure that I'm making, that I'm covering the spectrum of gender, the spectrum of race, um, and making sure that people are included. And mm-hmm. sometimes that also means seeing it and because we're a submissions-based magazine seeing that we're not getting everything and then going on finding those people because hey that means that i haven't done my job in reaching them on through our distribution that's through our instagram so it's yeah layers (laughs) definitely layers i think everything you said i couldn't agree more and i think like the as i was talking about earlier like this idea of at first you know the conversation of gender was not as big as it is now and so I always thought about it visibly as one way to like kind of just as I'm going through the whole process of becoming a human and living my life and running well and doing all this like just learning every day and absorbing these things I think it's just only going to make us stronger and more cognizant of like what we're putting out and what we're representing and 
I I do think, just as Kristen said, like I obviously white straight woman. Like not always as obviously. That's true, that's true. <laughs> um Yeah, it, it's it's something where I'm like I have to learn so much, not have to, but it's like I want I want to know, and I want to know these experiences, and I want to know when I'm fucking up, or we're fucking up, or I want to know, if someone's not seeing themselves, the point of Quell is visibility for women, non-binary people in skateboarding, and if you don't see that, at least a little bit, obviously, not every single post can (laughs) touch every human in the world, but (laughs) if you're not seeing that large scale, like, we're doing not what we set out to do. Yeah. And that mm. is a lot of pressure, going back to the original point of this question, but yes. it's, I don't think it's pressure that is bad. Like, for example, even in this conversation, like, it, you guys are doing something completely separate in the skate community, amazing, bringing up these thoughts, and fortunately, we just get to do something to share them. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. as this process has built so much with Quell, like, so many different people reach out, and they're like... I want you to feature this thing or like I would love to cover this thing for you and they're all and we obviously would love more of that too but it's um wait please please um but allowing other people to come to us and be like hey your platform is gonna be able to tell my story is I think hopefully taking that pressure away from us and knowing what we're kind of doing hands yeah, we're like, okay, good. You want to say something? Great. Get on this mic. You want to <laughs> on this mic, literally. It's like, you have four friends in Berlin and you want to start a skate community? Shouts out. Um, Joanna. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, get on it. Like, we'll promote it. We got yeah. you. So, I think, yeah. I think um, that was a beautiful thing. Um, (laughs) It's just like wanted me just to bring it back one more time into the call-out culture. And I think it's also important Mm -hmm. as a media outlet to be open to being called out. Yeah. Like, or just as a person, me, personally, like, I love when my friends call me out. Um, I expected (laughs) that my first response is always going to be defensive. Defensive and to knock that down and not let that come out into the world. But, um... Definitely, like, if this is going to be my role in this world where, like, it's my opportunity to share people's stories, mm-hmm. to, like, be open to being called out and be like, hey, you're going to do that, right? I do think there's a huge difference, hopefully, we get to this point, between getting called out and the cancel culture, too. Not <laughs> what you necessarily mm-hmm. were coming to talk about, too, but I think about that so much mm-hmm. where I'm like, we are learning these things. And that, I guess, yeah. back to the pressure part of this is, like, it's my biggest fear, not that we have any reason, because I think we do feel everything we do for the most part, but, like, for someone to be like, wow, fuck well, I'm canceling that, because of, like, one thing we didn't know, yeah. like, was incorrect, and one thing maybe a bunch of people didn't catch, and that is, like, something that's one of my biggest fears in this pressure, yeah. that we're always, like, getting, what we're getting out in the voice we're doing is, like, right in the current sphere of what right means. Yeah. That's like my personal biggest anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. So that's pressure. Yeah. I think I really like what Kava said about like calling someone out and then inviting them in. Like I'm yeah. very quick to call someone out, <laughs> but like often feel it's not my responsibility to teach you something, but maybe it is a little bit my responsibility mm-hmm. to teach you something. I'm just 
kind of tired of it, but... <laughs> I think you do a good job, and not to say that, but I do think when you do call people out on 12, because Kristen is our social media person, <laughs> but, so it's funny, because Kristen will be like, am I allowed to... And I'm like, yeah, fucking go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'll like, text Adrian a screenshot of like someone acting in a problematic way, or... DMing us something that, like, I don't find to be, like, very funny or amusing. Yeah. And, like, we'll kind of, like, field it to each other. I'll be like, yo, this is what I want to say. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, fucking go for it. But it's, like, I do, I do think, hopefully, you do, a, I think you do a good job with Thank that. You. I don't know why I brought that up. In because affirmation is so important. <laughs> and, no, honestly, like, it's interesting to hear you saying, like, like as we discuss sort of call out culture this mm-hmm. like questions of like fear the thing we're here words i'm hearing are like fear uh-huh. and like this kind of reminds me of um recently i was in sweden for the pushing borders mm-hmm. the second annual conference mm-hmm. in malmo so I <laughs> and um you know i was invited not originally i wasn't invited as a panelist mm-hmm. um i was invited to be part of the academic forum to talk about my my sort of writing on de- skateboarding as a form of decolonization mm-hmm. and um you know thinking about how <laughs> some the I was invited to be on the panel because there was a skater from New York who's based in New York Beatrice Doman mm-hmm. wasn't able to make it I think she had to go film in California or something mm-hmm. but she was supposed to be on a panel um that was about like women in the in the in the skate industry. So it was Mimi Noop, you know, mm-hmm. X Games. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the Hell work yeah. you and your friends have done to make equal pay yeah. possibility for us. For real. Thank you. Um, um, Candy Jacobs mm-hmm. shred super hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, finally getting the shine she deserves and she's been working so hard for. Mm-hmm. I was with Amber Edmondson. Um, who does who founded Women Skate the World? Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you guys can get in conversation because she's yeah. brilliant, yeah. and she's also working in Athens right now for Free Skate Mag, and then Chris Nebling, uh, mm-hmm. Skate Like a Girl. Yeah. So these are all friends. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm not missing anybody. I think it might. Oh, Lucy Adams, the moderator of the panel, mm-hmm. doing great things for the British skate scene. Um, so I was invited onto that panel and to sort of replace Beatrice, but it was an interesting process of yeah. how I actually ended up on the panel because I found out maybe the night before mm-hmm. um, from Kristen mm-hmm. that there was no one slated to replace Beatrice, and of course this is problematic for me because I'm like, how can you just let such a, a, a voice uh-huh. drop off and, per, and then just not it at, from the outside it kind of seemed like yo what are you guys sleeping on yeah, yeah. and then realizing that of course you know the organizers have been doing so much work to yeah. think about it and their intentions came from a good place in terms of like inviting her on making sure that there were more diverse voices represented mm-hmm. on the panel but then it made when she didn't show when they didn't have someone to quote unquote replace her i found that it was because wow we don't want to tokenize someone mm-hmm. because oh to think that the right. organizers from their perspective it was like well we're not on the business of thinking we can replace one black voice with another mm-hmm. we don't want it and especially with you know they know i'm vocal with it they they don't want to tokenize me or anyone right. yeah and so it came from that in that place of like we don't want to cause harm <coughs> and then it kind of yeah. reminds me of this place of like when we were talking a little bit about optics and like how sometimes especially when you're in a position of privilege you realize wait like i don't want to be seen as a person doing a bad thing yeah. so i'm gonna limit any opera anything that would challenge like 
challenge my ego situation. and create a situation yeah. where I would have to be exposed. Sure. So and then yeah. real and then as we navigate this conversation, you know, thankfully Kristen, you know, stepped in and like really demonstrated allyship. And for me, I don't even think of her as an ally. I think of her as a comrade, man. <laughs> Shout outs to you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> fucking rock. Kristen Evelyn must come up in every single one of our podcasts. Ah, <laughs> because she's a boss and yeah, like really true. like like that horizontal hierarchy that I'm like always trying to create. Like I just mm-hmm. see her doing that. And so I really appreciate us coast to coast, but no, she, you know, mm-hmm. she stood up, she invited me in, she called them out mm-hmm. and then took a personal, and she took a personal stake in that situation where she was like, yo, she's not talking. I'm not talking. That's fact. She, I'm uh, paraphrasing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, <laughs> but you know, a moment like that where you realize, wow. And then mm-hmm. other folks on the panel being like, well, we didn't really prepare for this or like, how do I feel about this new voice that I haven't interacted with? Yeah. Like, and then Lucy and Mimi and, and being like, yo, well, I don't really know her, but, well, I met Mimi before. Hey, Mimi. <laughs> but we've met, but then, you know, honoring yeah. that, like, their preparation right. that went into this. Yeah. Similar to, you know, when I didn't show up for your panel, it's like, wow, how do we navigate the absence of this voice? Yeah. Here, we had an opportunity to add a voice to the conversation so that the panel wouldn't go without. And thankfully, right. I was able to participate. Yeah. But I mention it because it, kind of embodies a couple of the different things we were talking about around call out culture and calling mm-hmm. in. I think we did a really good job during that to navigating mm-hmm. that experience where the organizers came together in the room, the panelists came together in the room and we actually talked about like where did we fuck up? Yeah. Like call right. them out and they were receptive knowing like wow, this doesn't necessarily feel mm-hmm. good cuz they care so much and yeah. they're doing such great work and we did it from a place of like love and and um but also like what transparency mm-hmm. like we can give this feedback because yeah. we realize we're in this community where we're building a movement together yeah. and we're coming from different places and i admit to not always being as um sort of accommodating or like wanting to teach but in that moment because it was a collaborative effort mm-hmm. i went on there and one of the organizers straight up was like hey you know we just want to acknowledge our blunder in a public way and have an action item that this is something we're going to be very intentional about moving mm-hmm. forward so that we don't find ourselves in this conversation the mm-hmm. situation where one has to replace the other yeah. and we don't see that kava as replacing another voice in this way it's yeah. adding on to mm-hmm. and so just like mm-hmm. that was such a beautiful teaching moment yeah. where call out culture is it it's not like it should it be call out or call in i think that the accountability process yeah. involves a combination of those things mm-hmm. where we can call people out on their behavior so as to call them in mm-hmm. and that call in co- that doesn't have to happen in isolation mm-hmm. but yeah. maybe for some people for their healing it has to happen in private sometimes yeah. and we have to make sure that we for create sure. space to honor that and like recognize that this is an ongoing mm-hmm. active mm-hmm. Thing. process yeah right yeah i do even to that point like remember a time too kristen where someone was being really i'm not gonna like fully get into it but someone is not being a great human to another person who on our Instagram and was kept commenting and commenting and I was like, God, we like, I don't know what to do. This person like is saying really shitty things on a post and you kind of like not checked me, but you were like, you know, this person's probably doing this because they are like deeply in pain inside and like you kind of got to like navigate it differently than you'd originally have thought. And that's obviously a microcosm of the larger conversation you're saying, but I think there's so much need for like knowing to when is a great time to use your voice publicly or privately because mm-hmm. you really have to kind of gauge you know sometimes you have to gauge what that reaction is going to be 
and if you do it publicly, like, are they just gonna try to play victim or not, like, get the conversation? Yeah. Or are they gonna, like, privately, that you can kind of be, like, one-to-one, like, hey, yeah, for sure. my friend, you're not doing the right thing, like... I mean, for me, for heavy discussion, when I go through, like, people leaving shitty comments or even coming mm-hmm. in my DMs or just, like, saying really, like, what the fuck are you even talking yeah. about? Yeah. I have no problem with yeah. just, like, deleting, blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on the context. Right. And yeah. I think everything is so situational. Yeah. So, like, even for us as individuals, do we have, like, the tools to, like, moderate, like, certain spaces yeah. if, you know, you've decided right. to be responsible for that space, at least mm-hmm. to an extent. It's, like, the difference of why wouldn't you go private? Yeah, versus yeah, yeah. having a public account if, like, you know, what your platform is, you know. <laughs> what, what's up? It's kind of a thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna say, I'm not going to say it on the record. Okay. okay. Oh. All right. Okay. Yeah, we'll come later. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but so I just think we'll it's... just bleep it, the whole statement up. <laughs> like, like, because I think some of the things I post online are, like, really, like, challenging, sensitive topics. Yeah. Um, you know, and people feel sometimes... I mean, again, it's different when you're posting skateboarding in a way. Yeah. But when you're posting about world or, or domestic local issues, like, in the news, yeah. you know, you do get people that will, like, say terrible shit. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't even know how that's even meant to be constructive. You'll go to their profile, it's like a private profile that says, like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, swear right. to God, that yeah, happened right. recently. Because like, <laughs> I'll notice that, too, that's their sole profile. Sure. That's their profile that they created to be private, that they, both, they don't post shit on, they don't follow people on it. Just so they can go and say, like, hateful, awful shit, and then it can't come back to them as, a, as the human in the real life world. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think the calling out and calling in culture, also, it varies online, right, in digital spaces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because also, I kind of find that if you're not willing to be a public persona of your, be responsible for your comments or your actions, yeah. like, it, it, and again, situational, I just, I just have very little tolerance for it. Yeah. And I don't feel like I need to answer. Because, like, I'm also a space where I just, like, provide, like, things that I, like, am interested in. I'm not a fucking educator. I'm not a fucking teacher. I mean, the thing about, too, Kava, is, like, I respect your opinion so much. And you're, like, the way that you articulate so many experiences beyond, you know, your experiences in higher education. But for someone like me, it's, like, I don't necessarily feel comfortable in a capacity where I, like, pretend I'm an educator. I'm not an educator. I come from a place where I got kicked out of school because I was so bad at math basically right. and then I moved to New York to like pursue like fashion and internships and yeah. like working <laughs> from then on mm-hmm. so when we even talk about skateboarding it's like you know we're talking about barracks earlier this you know this person that you mentioned which I still have no idea about who this yeah. was Bar- uh, Bar- right Bar- uh, or not not the troll but oh. the, the person who was Bar- skating Bar- you know she's oh, not yeah. good enough right, right. like yeah. people feel entitled to her opportunities right. or, or certain things like that I feel like in creating like more you know kind of like diversity and voices whether it's someone like you who like has this really um you know cross-sectional background in terms of like your education like where you grew up like all of the sort of positionalities that you you occupy you know it's so important and then also like for me when I'm talking to you or we're talking together in a room the peer dynamics of also skateboarding and teaching and learning Mm -hmm. which I had brought up to you about this article I read in free skate mm-hmm. magazine recently about mother the pedagogy i can't even fucking say the, the word pe- pe- pedagogy pedagogy see yeah pedagogy <laughs> um it was a really good article and uh the woman who also has like a background in i think she does uh basically like tate modern like uh learning mm-hmm. kind of educational sort of programming uh-huh. so she also is a mother of three and wow. 
has this really interesting perspective in terms of how she observed being a late skater, like not until like maybe after her third child mm -hmm. or in her 40s, wow. um, you know, approaching skating in the environment where she saw that like it didn't have to necessarily do with everyone being a woman skating or woman identifying skating, but people being beginners and then people being advanced. Yeah. And then so like the way that like people that aren't necessarily the coolest of them all skating, yeah, right. having like the most or like a deserved entitled space to speak mm -hmm. on certain things, which I think skateboarding the industry has mirrored this like kind of conservative sort of like aspect hierarchy of like who gets to speak who gets to like, yeah. you know, um, share their experiences that has like the most weight <coughs> within the community. And I think that the more voices that are out there, the more that people are gonna realize, you know, there's so many people that occupy such different spaces within yeah. skateboarding that they all deserve yeah. to be able to speak their truth about what skateboarding is for them and yeah. how we can make the environment better. You know yeah. what I mean? For people. Right. I definitely feel like there's this sort of simultaneous celebration of the diversity in skateboarding and then there's this condemnation of it and I think that that sort of these like skewing lines reflect the political polarization sure. of our modern world and I think that part of it the thing is though it's like I really do feel that skateboarders are in a really unique position to show to demonstrate to the rest of the world that like an alternative future is possible not only possible but it's already underway like we are at what i love about skateboarding is that we are actively creating the infrastructure for the world we want to see when i build a skate park if i'm building a skate park and this in in, in this fishing village in mahabaliputam in india with girl skate india yeah. and like i'm next to addy and then you like you got Lizu from from france and then like you got commonly like the like eight nine year old skater surfer living in the village like carrying the rocks on her head like we're sam beckett over there like learning how to use this tool like people are out here like really doing that work and i feel like even as i see that these comment sections and even as i see people like like hiding behind this online persona as a way to evade accountability i see so many examples of people doing diff putting different types of energy out there yeah. and i feel like i think that it's really important for us to like not run away from this ugliness to continue yeah. and, and if whether we engage it through educating mm -hmm. whether we engage it privately yeah. whether we don't engage it at all like we all have a right to choose how we want to engage or yeah. disengage from these conversations but i do think that we need to take the lessons from like that we get from dealing with this ugly and use those insights to drive like the construction of that future world and i feel like doing that really entails letting go of the idea that anyone owns skateboarding yeah. or yeah. that there is an ultimate authority on who or what counts as skateboarding and what is legitimate like Fuck your respectability politics. Like, if you're on a board, you skate. Yeah. Uh, there are dogs who skate. How are you going to tell me a dog <laughs> is How are you going to tell me a dog is valid, but a, girl, a woman on a board is not? Like, you funny mm -hmm. for that. And also, there's just no formula for how to exist in this world as a skateboarder, period. Yeah. Like, and we shouldn't want there to be. And, I don't, there, and there never was. There never was. So if there yeah. never was, then why are there rules now? Right. Yeah. And, like, I would argue, some folks would argue that as skateboarding becomes mainstream, and it becomes more sort of subject, I guess, to scrutiny by a world of non-skateboarders, oh my. <laughs> and it goes into the Olympics and stuff. I feel like there is yeah. definitely an anxiety because we're seeing an external body 
try by virtue of in trying to bring it into this sport, this sports yeah. arena, there are a lot of people who feel uh, to use their words again that mm-hmm. they use against us. They feel triggered by that. People yeah. do feel like what they're losing their grip over the co- what is skateboarding because I think what skateboarding the culture of production has been even though there's these like structures of like pyramidical like people who run the industry i think that as the culture it's definitely really it's generally pretty horizontal i think that that's just how culture so so i have a i had written something down in terms of what you just said and my question was how do we balance the future of a pro-social discourse Mm. within skateboarding and the commercialization of the optics of a pro-social culture here i'll let you come back to the seat you know emergency yeah, that's bound know. to happen when you've been talking over an hour, so. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, so like, I think that that has been underlying some of the questions I've had in terms of what, what even compelled me to like start doing panels was that I didn't think that generationally there were even like, um, I mean, but then I also like don't really watch like mainstream podcasts of skating and stuff. I'm kind of in my own bubble in my own way yeah. and. And so it's maybe just me being bored with myself. And just like, <laughs> I, I just want to, you know, like do something that feels natural to me. So, um, but mm. in terms of like, yeah, how do we balance, you know, this idea of like a pro-social uh, discourse and the commercialization of the optics of like that same lifestyle or that same kind of culture? I think what's at the root of both of those things is how people are defining empowerment. I think Absolutely. that for both sides, there's definitely this element of like empowerment being seen as like surpassing your position, whether it's like surpassing your bodily limitations or it's, or, or like becoming a success story where it's like, yeah, Kava, you know, she's from the Bronx. She grew up poor or whatever, but look at her. Now she's traveling the world. Like now we like what Kava and Jay-Z made it. Like, there's no racism anymore because they're empowered. If we have examples of empowered black people, how can you tell me that black suffering exists? Like, I think on both ends of the spectrum. That we're like, the exceptionalism, it it gives us this idea of post-something, this post-blank society that we supposedly live in. Like, I was thinking even Mm. after whatever, this impeachment fucking firestorm shit that's happening (laughs) right now, which I think is always constant, but I feel like even... If 45 does leave office or doesn't or whatever the fuck he does or does not do, yeah. when he is no longer in office for whatever reason, is it then the opportunity for people who have been, right, like triggered by everything that's happened only since 2016 to stop doing the work? You know, in terms of like he was a symptom mm-hmm. of a larger, he is a symptom of a larger illness. Um, and and I think sometimes like the um, the metaphors with cancer is that they say if you see a cancer like if you can visibly mm-hmm. see it or you can feel the pain from it it gives the person sometimes the opportunity to like you know um, do preventative stuff for it whereas like if you don't see it till the very end it gets you and it spreads yeah and so Trump I mean he's been compared to much worse things but cancer could be one of them uh-huh. because mm-hmm. now that the country has seen what yeah. it, I mean to the point of like yeah what you know unprecedented basically what are they going to do when he's removed right is it the opportunity to do something better and to be more cognizant yeah. of all of the mm-hmm. systemic things that have been brought to light because of his presidency and his administration yeah or is it an excuse to be like okay well 
we're fucking over that now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now right. we can start to heal. And I mean, what is healing look like? I mean, again, it's like all of this assumes that this all this is linear. <coughs> the hurt happens, then you heal. Cycle repeats. It's like no, like this. The process is less aligned and more a nebula. Like yeah. I really just feel like the fucked up this is happening here and then it's like also the fucked up this is also here and then like we're healing in between and outside and through like there's no way to get over what he Chuck has done there's no way to get over there's no shortcut to through this conversation right like if we're really committed to creating a future that we a world that we can be proud of instead of always saying shit like that's a shame and that's just the way it is like we gotta actually like I just feel like we have to commit to like making this a consistent part of our practice mm-hmm. and I get to bring it back to this sort of thing around like how I feel personally that empowerment the discourse around empowerment like even within the context of the presidency is still rooted in a certain like exceptionalism where it's kind of like like you have to super, like sur- you have to be rise above Trump yeah don't which to me under the underbelly of that is like well you don't don't engage it because you're already above it and it's like no like we got to engage the mm-hmm. ugly in order to grow through it. We can't yeah. just like b- bypass yeah. this work because, like, oh, because if we're do if we engage in this practice of spiritual bypassing and we continue to think that it's enough to be like I've risen above, just love, love Trump's hate. It's like yes, that is true, and I'm not negating that that is yeah. true. Some people hear me saying but 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 and then they instantly jump to defend that love does trump all and that's ultimately what matters Mm -hmm. and it's like it's the layers in between and outside it's like and that's why it's like i think it's really important for people to recognize that movements aren't met are should not aspire to be led by one individual leader skateboarders should not be aspired to live in that way we don't the president is only a figurehead who actually creates democracy is us And, like, that is something I really feel like people have forgotten. And that's why it's so easy for us, again, to externalize the responsibility for the the state of affairs. Because all of us, whether we we played a different role in it. Mm -hmm. Like, we've let the jokes slide. And then the thing is, now it's like, okay, we go to the... And I, I love process. I think it's really important. I do think, though, it's like the discourse of empowerment and, like, the feeling that you get when you're at a space where a lot of people are showing up one time. It's like, woo, it feels really fuzzy. It feels powerful. You're in this moment. And then there's a lack of continuity around there. Mm-hmm. The lack of integration of like rad- radical practices in the everyday. And like, I feel like the discourse of empowerment feels super good and super fuzzy until we get real about the fact that part of why these conversations are going circularly and why this fucked up humanitarian crisis still keep happening mm-hmm. is because no one actually wants to dismantle the matriarchy. Like, yeah. I high key, like, Capitalism, it's like, damn, like, do I really want to not participate in the system and, like, go hungry for what to, like, prove, you know, it's like, there's some, that's some of the, like, pushback I've heard yeah. around, like, protest or, like, being, like, oh, like, well, fuck patriarchy. It's like, okay, what are you going to do? Die alone? Like, yeah. bullshit. But it's like, and then part of it's compounded by the fact that these oppressions are intersectional. And I think having an intersectional approach mm-hmm. helps us understand, A, that empowerment doesn't always look like girls like you know my poem is like girls right. are skating into the sun and like that's the imagery i use yeah. but it does it's not like it happens from day to night you know yeah. and like we gotta like what does empowerment actually mean and like it's not just like oh like we want to move past okay what is it that we actually want to move forward to it's like okay yeah. fuck the patriarchy it's like what do we want to see on the other side yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. i want to see a world in which like 
my like being a woman isn't seen as a debilitating condition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like well, where that limits everything. One of the I things do. that we had talked about last time we met up was that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. This is like so passionate about Dude, this. <laughs> was that why is it that some of the most um, like high-profile influencers in skating? Uh, are maybe actually like not the ones who are most vocal about anything that's actually really happening right, right. now. Yeah. And um, so that was a question that we had talked about the last time we met up. The idea of empowerment within skating and the idea of also empowerment as it relates to ableism, disability, all of that things, all of those things also were something that we were going to talk about because mm-hmm. even when we talk about protest, sometimes people, I can't, right now with my torn ACL, I can't walk anything. I can barely walk down the street sometimes. Sometimes I walk 8,000 steps. Sometimes it kind of like, yeah. Yeah. you know, works against me. But even showing up to protests, like yeah. you have to be able to, right? Socioeconomically, sometimes people aren't able to show up on protests. People can't take off work. And yeah. and so those are, and then, I mean, it could be a whole separate like discussion about my experiences with like, you know, protest culture right now. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I also think globally speaking, when we talk about protest culture in America versus South Korea, versus mm-hmm. Hong Kong right now, versus yeah. other parts yeah. of the world in Europe, like everywhere, all over, all over the Ecuador right now. I mean, everywhere right now. It's, it's the ascension of far right governments and socioeconomic like complexities are happening right now in the world. But when we talk about protest culture, it's like when we talk about skateboarding and protest culture, like how do those things right. as a protest yeah, culture, as, yeah. right. As mm-hmm. an anti-authority, yeah. Yeah. right. Like right. fucking like cultural activity. Yeah. Right? right, but now that the activity of it is being commercialized to this degree, then what is actually substantiating anything else that historically it has created a space for? Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the elephant in the room, right? It's like as skateboarding becomes commercial, more commercialized, because we can't deny that it's already been existing yeah. in the fashion world and something and to that. Other spa- yeah, right. Yeah. But there's like this tension between skateboarding, like there's this anti-establishment ethos. That mm-hmm. I think forms the foundation of it. Unbridled creativity, yeah. complete a apolit- historic apoliticalness, so as to not have to even reckon with these conversations from the outside. Mm-hmm. We don't fuck that system. But then there's the pro-social ma- culture that I think also comes in tandem with the commercialization and the mainstreaming of skateboarding. <coughs> uh, and that I think the connection between the mainstreaming of skateboarding, the commercialization of skateboarding, and the pro-socialization of skateboarding. People come, then it's like, oh, those three things are must be connected. And all three things, even if the pro-social, I think, is really positive and important, definitely, in some ways, represents a threat. Now, I think being pro-social and diverse is punk as fuck. Mm-hmm. But for some folks, it's kind of like, well, by entering into that conversational space, you are now subjecting skateboarding to the scrutiny of norms that we don't want to embody because we don't believe in that establishment. Or we don't want to see the answers or what we're going to come up with, you know, like yeah. excavate. And I think, like, to kind of, like, wrap up, it, like, bring us to, like, three big questions. It's, like, do we want to care about race and skateboarding? Like, do, what do we feel like we're losing as skateboarding continues to grow? And what actually matters right now, like, for us yeah. as we're in this transitional moment within skateboarding? Like, mm-hmm. what's the future of it? What does it look like? I think this is part of many endless conversations that's yeah. going to happen. And it's yeah. surprising to feel that we weren't even talking for like maybe like two hours or so. <laughs> um, but it, it's such a complicated 
heavy discussion. Um, and, I see what you did there. And, yeah, no, I mean, I don't ever mean to do it. It just, kind of just, like, yeah, just flows out the tongue after you've been talking for two and a half hours. But, um, but this, I think, is definitely, you know, the more, like, unpredictable, because yeah. this is a new space, right? If yeah. this was already, had been done the last, like, fucking 50 years, mm -hmm. then I don't think anything that we, we would be saying right now would be particularly, like, new yeah. or unknown. You know, I think half the time we're asking more questions than we're answering them, and that's yeah. a good thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's why I feel like every time I have, like, a heavy discussion, whether it's just, like, a friend and I over a bottle of wine, like, kind of going off the deep end without realizing it, or more of a structured <laughs> yeah. thing, it's just crazy how, despite the amount of stuff that was covered, the topics that are covered, I still always leave it going, like, damn, like, we barely scratch the surface. Barely mm -hmm. scratch the surface. Mm -hmm. Every time. Like, when do you get to a point where you're like, okay, like, we're picking up where we um, ended last time, we can, like, continue this conversation because you're constantly inviting new people in who kind of need a little bit of a background. Mm -hmm. um, there's constantly new things happening that you need to, like, bring into the conversation. So it's like, you know, how do you define the future um, when the conversations, like, still haven't really scratched the surface of the past? You I think know. I think we're in a generation right now where there's like more people within skateboarding asking these questions yeah. and more spaces just it's just being created regardless because of technology because of age because of generational turnover that we have people more involved in skating now that are not afraid to really realize <coughs> like a lot of the things that tie in these key factors mm -hmm. of questioning systems that for a long time were only like surfacely understood yeah. by most people and now we have like I mean even intersectionality was feminism like talking about these things at one point were only within the confines of like predominantly white institutions and academia right. and high, higher education yeah you know what I mean I mean I think like recently like in the past year like Cardi B was talking about how mm -hmm. I mean she's not like an, a figurehead for me or anything right. like that because <laughs> I'll, I'll just like you know browse on Instagram seeing what's like you yeah. know what's on what people are looking right. at right yeah. the algorithm is informing also what I'm paying attention to yeah. but you know I saw and now that she's teaming up with Bernie yeah. Sanders I saw that like you know she was talking about how um you know like certain involvement within her high school years being involved in like government uh you know mm -hmm. issues or like whatever student body thinks she was involved with, mm -hmm. you know, was always there. Mm -hmm. But her, you know, life led her somewhere else. And now she's kind of, you know, becoming involved, intertwined within pop culture and mainstream rhetoric mm -hmm. about what politics is nowadays. Mm -hmm. We talk mm -hmm. about music and we talk about, you know, all these subcultures like skateboarding that have for so long informed what culture is today. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But before people never thought to ask these questions about skateboarding because they just willingly accepted it as this like one note thing. Yeah. Right. I think well first of all, I will say it's so funny you mentioned Cardi B because I retweeted a video of her like going off about women in rap the rap industry and I was like, this is what I sound like when I'm talking about women in skateboarding. <laughs> so it's very funny that you made that parallel. But um I do think too now it's like the doors are open. Oh my god, what is happening? The doors are open, and like, <clears throat> this is like our conversations right now are like the basis of a five year plan that's gonna lead to like industry change. Yeah. And like, at, we're at hopefully, a weird, yeah. I mean, hopefully, but we're at a weird moment where like this is becoming mainstream. Like, the Olympics is causing it to be 
semi-equal because you need to have the same amount of women and men on the teams to actually compete and it's it's kind of like forcing people to step up in a way maybe that they weren't ready to step up in for whatever reason like not not people but industry uh people in the industry Mm -hmm. now have to like kind of come to the table and like get a little bit equal and address and they're scrambling right because it's the first time that they're even reckoning with that part for a lot of them or being held to task where it's like oh we can look like we're doing it because Vance is giving us money but we're not actually committed to it but now it's like wait like the whole world's watching and you don't like you don't you cannot your boys can't go on the trip if there are not enough folks other folks present absolutely now it's a demand this is this is the expectation of the world moving forward and I think like fortunately at least from my vantage point I could very well be wrong but I'm seeing like people saying you know like you need to address these things you need to step up you need to do this so hopefully i think like these discussions are propelling even little baby steps for now but like 10 years time i can't imagine what this industry is gonna look like i really couldn't even yeah it's definitely yeah. i'm really excited i think yeah. that it's possible i'm really a big proponent of the both and i think it's possible to hold my um, disappointment in the comment section of the barracks on one hand and at the same time feel super excited energized inspired yeah. by the momentum right now in the global skateboarding community around diversifying our landscape and creating a space where anyone can part can participate mm-hmm. because that's ultimately i think skateboarding is about having fun it's a toy yeah, yeah. like it's yeah. a toy with wheels and it's giving a, and through this <coughs> to meet each other We've gotten to gain access into this kind of conversation. And I ultimately feel like that's what really matters. Is like, ultimately, we're here to have fun and to grow and to live this gift of a life that we've been given. And like, part of doing that work so that we live a fulfilling life in community with one another is like, having the courage to analyze our past Mm -hmm. so that we can reckon with the way that that past shapes our present Mm -hmm. so that we can in turn shape the future. And like, that can really only happen if we're reckoning with our history, if we're having intergenerational conversations mm-hmm. around this and also action community, like have these brands have, these brands can have folks from different generations having ownership in the in the company, stuff like that, mm-hmm. or the importance of count, accountability, making sure that we always prioritize impact over optics, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that we, so that we're actually moving beyond a place where marginalized folks are educators, which is the current situation, right. constantly performing this emotional and intellectual labor. It's like for privileged folks who fuck up, it's like, cool, you fucked up. Like, let's call you out so we can call you in. Like, mm-hmm. really trying to change the way we do this from the inside mm-hmm. because I don't always see the outside, quote unquote, outside world doing right. this. We are all participants of this, quote unquote, outside world. Yeah. And then we can, we have the opportunity, I think, to like, yo, we alchemists. Like, <laughs> like we can dead ass, like, yeah. transmute the toxic the bullshit. Yeah. Dead ass. And, dead ass. And like, <laughs> the thing is, it's like, I really, again, to be really clear, like, we're not in the business of making shit steam beautiful. I'm not trying to repackage the toxic shit so it looks prettier and we can yeah, feel yeah. fuzzy about it and post it. Like, like ultimately, like, we're trying to use that shit for fertilizer. Hey, truck. Oh, we're trying to use... Just, like, blow up in the street. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just, like, fell apart a little bit. <laughs> but, yo, we're trying to use the shit from that truck and yeah. the shit from our own shit yeah. to 
create fertilizer so that yeah. we can continue to plant these seeds totally. and then continue to grow the world we're living that we want to live in and yeah. i'm grateful to know that the future is already here so i love that yeah. oh my god it's already here i feel like that's such a good maybe some snap yeah period yeah. yeah. I mean, you can, if you want to tell us oh, about no, where can people reach find you guys? Us. Oh, we can, you can find me at Uncouth Youth, U-N-C-O-U-T-H, Y-O-U-T-H. Kanye West taught me that word. <laughs> and then you can find my blog at skateintothesun.world. Perfect. And we'll put that in the bio. Then and where can we find you? Uh, Heavydiscussion.com. Perfect. And then you guys. Qualskate.com at Qualskate. And the podcast version will be up. Yes, Qual right. Party awesome. after party. Woo. Thank you Thank for staying you. with us. This is awesome. Uh-huh. Peace. All right, where does it say? <laughs>